So, hello and welcome to this week's instalment of Nucleus Investment Insights. And today, we, uh, our, our presentation is entitled, The Oil Canary, or is the Oil Canary Dead in the Cage? And we're going to be doing a, a deep dive into all things oil today, really looking forward to it. Uh, it is quite a chart-heavy uh, presentation as well, I might add. So uh, if you are listening in on the podcast, please head over to the show notes and I'll be putting a link in there for a PDF of all the uh, all the slides in today's presentation. I'm joined today by our Chief Strategist, uh, David Llewellyn-Smith. G'day, David. G'day, Tim. And by our Nicholas Wilson, MB Funds Head of Investments, Damien Klassen. Hi, Hello, Tim. Damien. Fantastic. We'll roll into the agenda for today. Uh, so we're going to start off by looking at some of the long-term economics of oil, uh, commodity versus technology curves, uh, a little bit of an insight into some pricing, so looking at um, batteries or other alternatives to oil and the, and the pricing premiums. Uh, we'll then uh, jump into midterm demand and supply, and then, as always, uh, cover off and finish off with uh, how these implicate our, uh, our portfolios every day at Nucleus Wealth and the MB Fund. So with no further ado, let's jump into it, and I'll hand over to Damien for, to kick us off Sorry for the, uh, for the commodity curves long term. Hi, Tim. Yeah, so just wanted to take a, a big, bit of a step back on the oil price first, because there's, there's two big um, effects that it, one one's a long term sort of cap on the oil price, and the other one's sort of a, the other one's a mid term cap on the oil price. And I just wanted to talk through the 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 logic and the the thoughts behind that, and so you can sort of see where it, where it sits. Uh, first, I just wanted to, to highlight I've got a, a chart up there for anyone just listening in, um, just showing uh, strip ratios of Queensland coal and how they've sort of gone up from they've basically doubled over the last uh, thirty or forty odd years, um, and. This is pretty similar across most of the, uh, whether you're talking oil or, or commodity, whatever commodity you are, we're generally having to dig deeper um, and, and move more things to find it, and, and it's, it's more expensive. So um, clicking onto the next one, though, shows us that uh, on, a, on a shorter-term basis, we've got the, uh, uh, sorry, on a similar longer-term basis, we can see where solar sits as a uh, on, on its cost curve. So it's... Sort of come from from right off the off the chart, and it's sort of now come down to the level where it's actually uh, playing a part in terms of determining the cost of cost of electricity. And then you flick onto the uh, the next one where I'm just sort of zooming into the last few years to sort of show where these things cap out. So basically, solar is now cheaper than uh, most forms of uh, energy, depending upon where you are and and how good the solar resources are and, and things like that. But the um, solar on its own is is generally cheaper and uh, because it's on this technology curve, every year there's something uh, you know, new technology, um, producing more, seeing different ways to uh, different ways to to um, produce the same energy for for lower costs. Um, and so, oil itself is just uh, you know another form of energy. And so, uh, the the benefit from oil though is it's uh, had this portability premium because oil is really handy. Um, you know, it's very hard to, to stick anything else in your car. You don't want to put coal in your car. Um, it's uh, it's a very dense form of energy, um, and you know, batteries are are a longer term competitor to it. Mm. So so basically, electricity plus batteries um, is a longer term. Um, but the issue is that uh, we're not there at the moment, and oil has got in this portability premium. Oil's oil's got this this benefit over coal, where for the same unit of energy. Um, 
oil is much more expensive. And mm. same with gas. For the same unit of energy, oil is much more expensive and because it is so convenient to stick oil in, in your car. Okay, yeah, and sure. So, and that's um, what you mean by the portability premium. Portability, yeah. yeah. So I've been trading off that for, for years in oil, but um, so it's, it's, facing this, it's facing two competitors. One is that the cost is coming down for solar and mm-hmm. so now solar is cheaper than coal and all these and a number of other uh, factors is, is that starting to weigh now on the on the cost of electricity so that means that while there's a portability premium um, if if you're you're competitive the cost of uh, electricity is falling and, mm-hmm. and I guess um, with a, with a note to most Australian listeners that hasn't been happening in Australia but that's <laughs> been a that's a, a function of the market uh, we're facing as opposed to to what's happening globally mm-hmm. uh, globally with we're seeing, um, you know, we are seeing these effects come through, uh, and so so the next slide then I've, I've got is is basically showing where they meet. So so at the moment, um, so just looking at this portability premium and, and comparing, saying, well, if if I've it, the main competitor for a car driving around with a petrol engine is saying, well, what's what's going to cost for a, a battery plus an electric car? Mm-hmm. And you go back ten years, and you're probably talking five times the price. So I guess I was, I was sort of thinking. Um, you know, around about fifty cents uh, per um, per kilometer, mm-hmm. um, and whereas um, oh sorry, fifty cents. Sorry, I've got this on the I've got the wrong scales there on the on the, on the chart. But the uh, this is a cost per yeah per fifteen thousand kilometers per year. Okay, and what it's showing is that the petrol cost has basically been um, uh, your gap between your your driving your petrol car and driving a um, uh, driving an electric car has yep. been has been reducing. It's still there's still a decent gap. It's probably still about uh, three times the cost. Okay. Um, having said that, that's if you're that's for a typical person driving fifteen thousand kilometers a year. Mm. If you go to somebody in a taxi, um, sort of driving hundred thousand um, kilometers a year, or, or maybe you know an Uber driver, mm-hmm. um, it's actually pretty much break even at the moment. Wow. Yep. So you know the, the broad steps. So you, you're looking at. Um, Actually, I've got some broader numbers sort of going forward. And and so we've got the technology coming. We've got the cost of uh, the electricity coming down. We've also got the cost of batteries coming down. And the next slide's just sort of going into uh, how we've seen pretty much 20% per annum growth for the last 10... 20% per annum declines Decline, in, yep, in, okay. in prices in batteries over the last uh, 10 years. And so and that's uh, a product of more manufacturers, better technology... Um, yeah, innovation, I guess, in the in the field, yeah. or is it? Uh, it's a mix. Yeah, to mix. Um, a, a lot of it is actually just producing more. Okay. So, and that's that, that's been solar as well. Is there's this? There's basically, a, you know, if you have to produce a thousand widgets, mm-hmm. uh, it costs you whatever. If you have to produce produce a hundred thousand, mm-hmm. your your cost per widget comes down dramatically. Yep. And okay. so, a lot of it's just the as people produce more and more, uh, the cost comes down. But there is a, a fair whack of um, technology sort of hidden into that as well, and. Yep. You know, any, I guess anyone who follows any of the sort of technology um, magazines or anything in terms of this area, every second day there's a new study and somebody's done broken some record somewhere and stored more or, or yep. got it out cheaper or, or done whatever. And so there's a, there's a range of new technologies. You know, the next sort of 10, 15 years, you can easily see where the, the technology is going to keep um, keep improving. Okay, sure. And so what that gives us roughly is this what I call a levelized cost. And... Um, so just ballpark, you know, a battery is going to cost you about ten thousand dollars extra if you're buying a car. Mm-hmm. If you want to get about a four or five hundred kilometer range mm. uh, in terms of your in terms of your battery, uh, that's 
uh, for every 10,000 kilometers, it's going to save you about somewhere between 150 and $350. Mm. So depending upon which country you're in and, and, um, you know, and, and things like that. So, uh, and a lot of it's taxes and, and all price up and down. Yep. But, you know, if you, if you called it to $250 uh, a year in savings uh, and you've got to spend 10000 it obviously doesn't sit, you know, the, the numbers don't, don't really add up for the, the consumer. Yep. But as that keeps coming down uh, and we start seeing that, um, you know, we can see taxis are probably saving more like $3,000 a year. Mm-hmm. So if you're outlaying 10000 saving 3000 okay, well, in four years, I'm, I'm payback. Yep, sure. Um, and in, in some markets with, with higher... Uh, with higher taxes, you, you could be getting over $5,000 back. So you sort of got a two-year payback. And so with, with, with these figures that you've put up here, um, is this sort of just raw, um, I guess, raw inputs and raw costs? So this is not... Um, no, no, this, not, is on, on the, this is on the road. Yeah, no, sorry. What, yeah. what I mean by that, though, is because um, the next stage from here would be then, say, some form of government inter- intervention where they turn around and say, well, you know, uh, we'll halve your registration if it's an electric vehicle or an electric taxi, for example, in a busy yep. city. Yep. Um, so your payback period might be 12 months rather than three years or four yeah. years. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Yep. Yeah, there's, there's, there's no subsidies in this. And, and a lot of countries have subsidies. Yeah, so, sure. Um, yeah, plenty of ones. And, and uh, a lot of them have quotas, quotas as well. So, um yeah, there's a certain number of licenses will will be given out in. I think Shanghai's got a limit on how many petrol licenses, and then the the electric licenses is just uncapped. You know, <laughs> go for it. Yeah, yeah. okay. And so, well, all almost certainly be last. Yeah. To, to roll those out in yeah. Australia. Yeah. 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 Given the uh, political push to protect coal, etc. Mm. Yeah, but but you know, I guess in the end, um, Australia's. The demand from Australia is not going to make a difference. So, like, it's, it's, this is a global thing. We're talking. We're a country you know, town in China. Yeah, <laughs> and, and and the question, if you flick to the the next slide, I've got a few talking government intervention. Here's a there's a number of countries that have come out who have actually said that they're looking at banning petrol cars from from ranging from sort of 2025 to to 2035 or or, or even longer for some of them. But you know, so you're looking at California, Germany, uh, China. You know, those those three between them is you know a pretty decent chunk of, of world the world economy um and and that's your you know that's your sort of at a certain stage once you hit these break evens uh the question is do you then have governments to say well okay we'll just ban it that will you know once yep. once it once people shouldn't care whether they're buying petrol or, or electric and people have taken up electric in, in a certain state in, in enough uh, frame, then yep. you know, do you, do you, you just, just get banned? Get like through. critical mass, and then you just find all the things that are wrong with the incumbent. <laughs> get rid of it. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. Just to quickly note as well that to compare Norway with Australia, just mm. just to put a bit of a boot into the local political economy. <laughs> yeah. No, Dave. Never. When, when you know you've got Norway that's built this enormous sovereign wealth fund based on oil. Yeah. Mm. And yet here they are leading the way in. In uh, removing it locally, remo- removing it locally, <laughs> and, and setting new kind of normatives to to expand that globally as well. Whereas in Australia, of course, we took all of our ill-gotten commodity gains and spent them on expensive housing, what have you, and, and tax cuts, ha- ha- tax cuts, <laughs> and and minimum savings, and therefore are forced to protect the the rentiers that are still producing the the carbon mm. output commodities. Mm. Okay. So, yeah, yeah. Like, that, yeah. Luckily, we don't get much in the way of royalties from from being the world's largest gas exporter. Yeah, that's so, right. yeah there you go. You can't cook our own book there. <laughs> <It's up> there. <laughs> yes. Uh, okay. So, 
Transport in the end for, for oil, look, there are other uses. You do have industry uses. You do have um, you know, some non-energy uses and some of it's for heating and things like that. Most of the heating is pretty much gone now. Um, oh, sorry. Not, not, most of the demand in heating has, has fallen dramatically from where it was years ago and, and less and less because it, it used to be that you could run diesel generators as being a convenient way of, you know, I could ship the oil in and, and mm-hmm. run them in remote locations or... or or run heating oil and and um, and use other products in uh, for heating. And now with such low gas in the US and the, the, the relative price of oil to to other forms and and, and batteries storage, mm. um, yeah, that that demand's come down a lot there. But in the end, the, the whole game of this is is transport uh, and and particularly passenger vehicles. Could could you see a scenario where um, the primary use of oil? Um, for safer transport is not necessarily pouring it into the car, but pouring it into a generator off-site somewhere and using that electricity to to fuel the car. Is that sort at, of like a secondary at, option at the right price? Absolutely. Yeah. Like I think, and, and I think where we're, where we're taking this is that uh, as batteries come down in price, you won't care. You know, and you, you sort of don't really care as much whether the where the electricity sources come from. Mm-hmm. Yeah, obviously some people will care, but yep. um, the it'll be the lowest cost. Whoever can produce this at the lowest cost will. Will be where you, you'll um, you'll produce them, but, but as a as a good you know as a as a sign of that, um, uh, a lot of the Middle East countries uh, have done are doing a lot in solar power. Mm. So they used to burn a lot of their own oil for for because it's so cheap yep. for for electricity. But now they're sort of going well. Let's use solar power and okay. let's let's sell the oil at a premium if we can. Yep. yep. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Uh, so what that says to me is that there's a um, Actually, I might just skip forward one one more slide. Yeah, sure. Uh, I've just got some adoption uh, charts up, and so what I'm just looking at here is just a, the adoption of different technologies over time, uh, and it's a it's a pretty complex it's a pretty uh, convoluted graph. But but the key part of what it's showing is that when the sort of telephone and TV and 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 other sort of technologies picked up in the sort of early 1900s, they took quite a long time to get. Uh, adoption rates up to sort of the 60 plus, 60 plus percent. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of them sort of would take 20, 30, 40 years. Uh, in recent times, the adoption rates have just, um, you know, we're on, we're on a straight line upwards. It's sort of smartphones, you know, a few, few years around, few years, you know, one or two people had them, next thing, everyone's got one. Mm. Um, you know, digital cameras, uh, tablets, uh, social media, you know, there's all these sort of there's all these examples of, of new technologies that just go from being nowhere to to within five years um, ubiquitous. Yep. And so the question for me is, um, when this when this period happens, and we don't know when it is, you know, it could be 2050, it could be 2025, it's somewhere somewhere in that range. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm expecting quite a sharp um, yep. change at that point. Where you will either get government bans, or you'll just get people just naturally picking it up and saying, "Well, yes, I'll take this because it's it's now more convenient and cheaper and and uh, yep. you know, and, and demonstrated benefit." And they just go, "Okay, well, at the same price." Yeah, <laughs> I'll take, exactly. I'll take the new one. So flipping back to that last one, then is then the, I'm just showing the what's expected from all the major agencies at the moment in terms of uh, oil demand growth, and so they've basically got all got oil growing, oil demand growing. Uh, except for the IEA sustainable development, which is which is not the actual IEA's current policy uh, graph, but they've all got it growing to 2040 uh, and, and further out for, for some of them. So I guess what I'm positing is that uh, the longer term demand, uh, I believe, is going to go through a step change. Uh, so, but but 
we're we're facing over the longer term we're facing this this technology curve that's that's basically sitting above uh the the price of oil and saying well the oil price isn't going to two hundred dollars because at two hundred dollars uh electric cars are all of a sudden that's it they're better than yeah they'll be in next week (laughs) yeah that's right we'll be driving teslas yep and so um and so that you've got this cap on your on your your longer term cap on the oil price and that sort of leads us in now to the the midterm, where there's a there's another cap on the on the oil price, which is sort of in the, in the midterm, which is the uh, the shale oil. Uh, so um, just just before we jump into that, with a couple of questions we might just work through as well from our live audience. Um, just one on uh, the range available. So the range available for hydroelectric vehicles compared to ele- full uh, EVs, electric vehicles, is significant. Uh, given the vast distance of, uh, of Australia, uh, would it be better place to invest in hydroelectric innovation as opposed to pure EVs? Have you got anything to say about that one? Oh, absolutely. I've got lots to say on, on investing in technology. It's always really, really hard to pick a winner. Yep. Uh, I find it much easier to pick a loser, and that's what a lot of this is about saying, I know who's going to lose out of this. Oil's going to be the loser. Yep. Whether uh, hydrogen comes up with the right... Um, you know the right mix that appeals to consumers and, and range and, and things and other and other factors, mm-hmm. or whether it's uh, electric, or whether it's some combination, perhaps something we've never even heard of. Yeah, yeah sure. Um, but I'm um, I'm pretty sure oil's going to be the loser out of that over mm-hmm. out of it. Uh, I always yeah, my, I keep harking, harking back whenever I talk technology to the the uh, my early days as a, as an internet analyst, and you know everyone knew about the the new search was fantastic and knew it was going to be the biggest and greatest thing, and so everyone was buying. Lycos and Excite and Yahoo and Alta Vista and all these companies that are no longer around. Mm. Uh, and um, the real winner was Google, which wasn't even listed. I wasn't even listed. So right. you know, everyone's everyone's fighting over you know yeah last place essentially exactly. <laughs> yeah. And so and and so uh, yeah, trying to pick exactly the technology that's going to solve that's going to be the the winner is, is very difficult. Okay, no worries. Thanks for that, Damien. Um, the other one here, I might, I might just put it as a point rather than a question. What is the oh no, what, what is the economic implication of a flattening price of oil in direct correlation to the future reduction in the production of oil due to other sources of energy? I feel that kind of encapsulates the entire subject of this webinar. But anyway, <laughs> a little bit, yeah. So I mean, that's that's actually that's we might go on because I think we're answering that in the in this next sort of midterm part, and okay. because it'll actually lead us into that. So if we flick to the the next one is just sort of showing as as a uh, where what's happened to U.S. production, uh, and you can see U.S. production has just got a rocket under it for the last ten years, nine nine years even, uh, and this is the this is all the shale oil boom. So basically, the uh, U.S. grew from uh, yeah, the early 1900s at sort of a million barrels a day up to 10 million barrels a day in uh, the heyday of uh, the the late 1970s. Uh, it fell back down, basically halved almost in, in production uh, and before taking off and now it's at record highs. Uh, if you had 12 million barrels a day, uh, turned into a net exporter, you know, the, the whole key has been this shale oil. And shale oil's got some really different um, characteristics. Mm, okay. So ordinarily the, oil, the whole oil market was driven by this this um, factor that it took 30, 40 years to develop these these fields. So if you needed more demand... Uh, and if the oil price spikes and you need more demand and everyone rushes out and starts exploring, it's like, yeah, well, great, I'll see you in 20, 30 years once, once you developed it. Mm. Uh, so it, it really was this long-term, this long-term play and uh, it meant that the, uh, the elasticity of, of supply was, wasn't, very, wasn't very great at all in sure. terms of responses. Now we have uh, shale oil, 
which basically you can produce, um, which has this, this factor of, which initially sounds like a negative one, it, it produces about 80% of the oil in the first two, two or three years. Mm -hmm. So it flows really quickly and then slows right off and takes a long time to get, you know, probably runs for another 10 years-ish. Um, and you, you're hard to get any. And so at first bite, you're like, oh, that sounds terrible. You know, all this big flow and then the flow dra drops, drops off dramatically. Mm. But from a financing perspective, this is exactly what you want. I want to, because I'm going to spend a lot of money up front. Mm. I can get that Most money back, back straight yeah. away. And then the, the profit all comes over the, you know, the next 10 years. And especially means for debt financing, like if you, if you want to debt finance a traditional oil well, it's very difficult. You need a huge balance sheet and you need to be able to say, well, yes, I'm, I'm buying now and I'm running the risk that in 10 years time or 15 years time, by the time my oil well's actually up and running, yep. um, the oil price will still be where it is and it'll justify the debt. Whereas on a two year time frame, you're, um, you can basically lock in, you can t get the debt, you yep. can, uh, forward, you know, uh, you can swap your, your oil price and, and lock in your price yep. to, to have be enough to pay the debt and then and then you're off and running. Mm -hmm. And so what that meant is this, the boom in, we've seen in oil is has been as much a Wall Street story as it has a, a an actual oil story because not only um, is that a good thing from, well, not only is a good thing from a financing perspective, but uh, because so much of this is wanted and needed and this is new technology, um, it's a great story for, for Wall Street um Investment banks because they make their money from from doing listings yep. and and finding investors and, and deals, and short taking, deals. <laughs> yeah, so you basically and raising uh, the debt. Yeah, yep. exactly. So you're basically saying, look, you need fifty million dollars to to drill a few wells and and hook up to a few oil lines. Fantastic, you know. Let me let me take my slice. We'll raise sixty. Yeah, you know, I'll take a slice here and a slice there, and we pay some interest, and off you go. Mm. Uh, and so they the, the whole. Um, they're they're not particularly interested in making a profit, I guess. In, in the end, they don't care. They just want they just want the capital raising to keep coming. Yep. So you know, there's a lot of complaints now about you know a lot of these a lot of these oil wells. They're basically just whatever money they're getting, they're just turning back around, and dumping straight into back into the um, into the next one into the next one. Yeah. And so the actual cash profile of a lot of these uh, shale producers isn't particularly good. But uh, that's partly driven by the whole Wall Street. You know, we just want to raise more capital and. If you if you have a successful project and pay out your pay out your investors their profits, mm. we now want to go and raise the money back. We'd like that to happen, and then we'll go raise the money back from, from the same people to, to to invest in the new one and, and take our slice. And so so just looking at that chart there, um, you know, that's a boom. Obviously, that's that's got to be you know indi indicative of problems ahead. Would you would you agree, or is this something that you think is sustainable? Is this going to continue to the moon because Wall Street's flush with cash oh, and they're just happy to, to keep churning and burning and until we run out, you know, until shale's gone? Yeah. Look, the, well, the, the key in this is is that it's become the swing producer globally. Mm. Like whenever, as Damo said, you know, the former supply elasticity has been resolved by shale. Mm. And so as Damo's curves come down and cap the oil price, in a normal situation, you might think that actually could be a bullish story for the oil price. Mm. Um, but because nobody invests. Yeah, yeah, yeah nobody stop. invests and yeah. demand is, isn't falling mm. that fast. Sure. But because shale has come in with this kind of quick-fired solution uh, where it can turn on and off really, you know, swiftly, um, it's become, you know, this other supply curve sitting on the price. Mm. Uh, and so it's become an invaluable way for the oil market to correct. Yeah, sure. Yep. Uh, and adjust to all of these different trends and curves and what have you. Yeah. So, and, and the other so thing it's, you've not, seen. it's not really in danger of, of popping. Mm. 
um, except in very short-term waves where you have, for instance, right now where we've got a, an imminent glut. Mm. Uh, but to look at that and think of it as an overall bubble, no. Yeah, okay. All right. Uh, the other thing is it's uh, that's part of that rise has been there's, there's other countries that are, that, are, that, that are tailing off their production as that happens. And OPEC in particular is holding back production, trying to keep the oil price high. Yeah, sure. So part of that's been, you know, part of the, the rise of the US uh, is it keeps rising. And, and so Saudis and, and Russians have been holding back on production. Um, Surely they can't be happy with this scenario, though, can they? Is no. sort of like so, a bit so of an OPEC versus that. Wall Street sort of? <laughs> yeah, so they've got to work out where the, where the right level is. Yeah. At, at lower levels, when it was going from, from $5 million, five or six million barrels a day of production to, to seven or eight mm. wasn't as much of an issue yep now that they're you know the biggest producer and they just keep keeps coming keeps coming keeps coming uh you'd, you'd think it'd have to weigh on their minds in mm. terms of um and, and that was initially you know some of the fall from uh uh some of the initial falls when the the oil price fell from a hundred dollars back to uh, sort of 30 i think it bottomed out out a few years ago yeah. 28 um and that's that dip there in the line the straight line up Mm. In shell production, that was uh, you know the, part of the reason for that was basically uh, let's get rid of all these shale guys because the the whole part was shale guys were producing at hundred dollars of oil their, mm. their break evens were hundred dollars we let's let the oil price fall smash them get them out of the market then we can let the then we can you know the oil price can drift back up again yep but the issue with with break evens uh, was a couple of one is there was technology technological gains mm. but also break evens are a little bit confusing in that uh, break evens. Are affected by the there's a there's a circular relationship. Mm. So if the oil price is a hundred dollars, well, there's wells that'll come on that, that are profitable at a hundred that are they're only just break even at a hundred dollars mm. that would have never been put on at fifty dollars. So they're still there yep. at fifty dollars, but they're just not in production. So yeah, okay. You know, it depends on how you want to actually measure those. Uh, the next chart we've got falls into that where this is one done by the uh, uh, the Dallas Fed, and they they make some estimates of what the break evens. Are for um, for oil wells, uh, shale oil wells, and they've got the what they call the long dated WTI futures. So you basically go out uh, two or three years, and you look at what the price is, and then you get a pretty good match for where the uh, where the break evens are. And that's sort of saying exactly what I was talking about before, whether whether it's explicitly done or, or implicitly done. That whole part about uh, if the if your longer term oil price is um, if you can if you can go in and lock that in three years out, build a raise some money, build a well, yep. then uh, then all of a sudden that's your your factor that's going to keep your keep the lid on these uh, these oil prices. Mm-hmm. And so yeah, so I guess uh, and that's been a lot more stable than the short term. So we've seen the short term sort of bounce around over the last few years, you know, down to twenty eight dollars and back up, you know, from a hundred dollars down to twenty eight and back up to. Uh, what did we get seventy or eighty, and then back down again? So it's it's it really has bounced around a lot. The longer term has pretty much been around that 50, 50 to uh, fifty five dollars, and uh, drifting downwards from and all drifting things. down. Yeah. yeah, and so that's uh, and that's drifting down with production increases. Yep. So you know that's your there your two um, there your two curves sort of holding things down. Your short term curve, you've got this. Uh, where can where can the oil oil shale guys produce that? Yep. Hold you one place. And then, uh, but the big one to keep watching is that, uh, yeah, batteries plus electric. Uh, when that sort of hits the breakover, uh, the, the the point where it crosses over, that's where um, you know, you're it's not going right. higher. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Just one final question before we roll into the um, 
the midterm uh, projections um, and reflections. What time frame is predicted before the convergence of new technologies of energy production uh, lead into new, I think it must be mega, mega companies, uh, much to the like of current petrol companies such as BP. Although BP for, you know, might be an example of, <laughs> of the former and the latter perhaps, depending on what they want to do. Uh, is there something that you keep on the on the radar? Is there is there going to be a you know a, a Tesla uh, energy or is it, you know is it, is, no, it, is it like that? Is it no? I think it's more it's more distributed. Yep. Uh, so so I guess let, let's say let's say solar is your winner, yep. um, and you've got a bunch of people with solar panels sitting out there feeding it into batteries and storing the energy and yep. feeding it out to cars or, or wherever it is. Uh, that's a pretty much a distributed system. So mm. you might find. Um, and as well, it's a it's a real race on costs. So yep. maybe maybe somebody will come up with some breakthrough technologies and, and be your your new BPs. Where but but you know they'd need a significant drop in in cost. Mm. And um, it's probably arguably it's more likely to happen on the battery side, mm-hmm. I suppose, because the batteries it's got to the stage where the battery is the bigger cost of the the two, and the, it's still falling at quite quite high levels. So. Maybe you see in the batteries, but again, you know, there's so many different competing technologies in both of them. Yep. Um, someone would really need to do a, a step change difference to, to to gain enough dominance to then have enough R and D to to, to, to take, take over the China. world. <laughs> yeah, but there's certainly a lot of Chinese companies. You know, China made a big push in this um, yeah. ten years ago, and 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 tried to basically, in a way, basically tried to um, get rid of the the competitive by, by pushing prices so far down that uh, competitive solar companies right around the world went bust. Yep. And so yeah, there are um, yeah there are issues with governments and 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 obviously with climate change, you'd you'd expect governments to to want to sort of back. Yep, um, these types of projects. But in effect, it's going to be sort of a sum of many parts as opposed to a couple of giant conglomerates that sort of uh, own all the reserves of the world. It's pretty hard to own the, all the reserves of the, of the sun, I guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I expect so. Except, except if you've got a huge technological breakthrough. Okay, yeah, sure, perfect. All right, well, on that note, um, perhaps we'll roll across to uh, the midterm oil glut. Is that, yeah. Dave, take it away. Sure. So, as I mentioned... Uh, we're in the midst of a, um, another one, another one of our intermittent oil gluts, where we go through these these pulses, uh, and at the moment it's being driven by uh, a couple of different factors. On the demand side, you know the global economy is starting to suffer a fair bit from the trade war, and the uh, EIA recently downgraded uh, demand growth for the for the world. Uh, and if you just want to quickly pop over to the next chart, we can see this already kind of playing out in U.S. inventories. That, that top chart there shows you U.S. oil inventories that have been climbing now pretty steadily for quite a while. And that, that line, that blue line is continuing to rise. So if you go back, Tim, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, um, the U.S. is because it's the, the swing producer and also, you know, the best kind of most most transparent market is the most useful in measuring mm-hmm. kind of global oil supply. Yeah, sure. Um, so demand's looking a bit shaky and then, you know, we've got the supply boom coming out of the US, but there are some, some you know, headwinds as well. Venezuela is, is grinding lower very consistently. And the- having said that, though, it's sort of getting to the stage now where it's, it's not as important. Like it, it used to be a sort of four million barrel a day producer, and it's sort of back down around one now. So it's sort of mm, yeah, yeah, a lot of the falls behind us. Yeah, um, Libya has been having quite a few problems uh, in the last couple of months, um, just political economy problems. 
uh, instability and what have you, and that's dented their production a little. And then, of course, we've got this ongoing, uh, you know, kind of uh, uh, aggression f- from the US towards Iran, uh, which, you know, has dented their production. But then there are questions around how China will play into that. Mm. Um, it's almost a bit of a proxy war going on with Iran between the US and China. And China tends to take Iranian oil regardless of what the US says. Mm. And especially right now when they're at each other's throats, that may be even more so than usual. Yep. And they usually get a pretty decent discount on the, on the market price for doing so. <laughs> they do. It's not all generosity. Um, so, uh, you know, at the moment, probably the number one hope for constraining oil supply and starting to, to drop some of these climbing inventories is more OPEC. Uh, retrenchment. Saudi Arabia has already said it's going to do so. Mm-hmm. That said, a lot of the other OPEC, uh, OPEC Plus, which includes Russia, have not been terribly enthusiastic about cutting production again. So, and, and part of that's that that graph we looked at earlier. You know, it's pretty hard to say, yeah, yeah, let's cut production so that the US shale guys can that's right, feather we'll, we'll, their nests. We'll knock out a million dollars a bar- million more barrels a day, and, and then they'll lift a million more barrels a day, and we're back to where we started from. And yep. yeah, yeah. So, you know, I mean. This brings you back to the US uh, and is why we've seen the, the oil price falling pretty consistently over the last month, back down to break-evens for shale, but it's not really low enough yet to cause a big dent in uh, rigs and hence production. Mm-hmm. That said, rigs have been tailing off, so US production will begin to fall over the next six months. Uh, so if you want to pop forward, um, you, you can see uh, basically that the, the um, pace of uh, output growth that's what this new blue chart is um, is diminishing mm. in the US and that's going to continue uh, and that will will help uh, you know rebalance so, the market a little and just to put that in context what we're saying here is we're talking about the second derivative here so it's still yeah. still increasing yeah. but, but, rate of change. but the rate of yeah the rate of increase is, is yeah. starting to slow and okay. we've got a long way to go before it actually starts to fall so uh, you know the if demand growth continues to diminish and you can ask raise a question at this point as the Fed starts to cut and what have you and markets are all kind of, you know, bouncing on new booms and what have you, that that might bring some relief to demand. But uh, for the time being, it still looks like shale is going to, you know, steadily um, move towards zero growth, yeah. but but not 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 in any kind of crash at this yeah. point. And look, to get it negative last time, as I said, oil price has had to go to $30 from pretty much from $100 pretty quickly down to $30, mm. yeah. uh, which got rid of a lot of production uh, but in the meantime the technologies have, have kept on improving their, their their efficiencies keep on improving uh, I would say I would think that you'd still need you need to get it definitely under forty dollars mm. to, to really if you wanted to to stop yeah. the US the US shale guys definitely under forty dollars and maybe maybe that's not even enough maybe you do need to get back down closer to 30 yeah. again before well it's before also that 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 um, medium term futures market that you showed us is yes, that where that, that number really has to drop so that they can't forward sell their production mm. uh, and that hasn't dropped enough yet either <laughs> yeah. so so if we get swing to the next chart we can see that there there has been impact like the, the u.s rig count has been steadily tailing off but it isn't enough yet to really um, balance the market so uh just keep going there tim um so so we're in a glut in the short term. Um, the longer term, obviously, you know, we think is is very shaky for oil and quite troubled. Um, so, 
you know, in terms of kind of investment implications in the immediate term, um, the US economy is kind of uh, flipped on its traditional relationship to the oil price, uh, given it's become, you know, this very large swing producer. Mm. Uh, traditionally, when the oil price fell, you would expect to see consumption rise, you know, people driving more, but just also spending more with all that discretionary cash that they get as, uh, as their gas prices fall. But these days, um, ca- the, the, the shale oil capex is large enough for that the hit that it takes on the production side uh, in the economy and um, just the investment that dries up, mm-hmm. um, that balances out to almost net or even negative for the US economy when the oil price falls. So, uh, you know, there's a kind of double impact now in the US. When, when the oil price falls, you'll see inflation come off, which we're already seeing. Mm-hmm. It takes a while for that to reach kind of core inflation, which is what bothers the Fed, but it does get there in the end. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you actually see diminishing economic activity as well. And, and what, what David's saying, it <clears> takes <throat> longer to, to get to core is because core doesn't include the, the direct effect of energy, but yep. it does include the, it, well, effectively, it, it includes the secondary effects. So people yep. yeah, people start having to, uh, so oil prices fall and, and it takes off some of your cost pressures. Um, and, and so you can see that in, in other Sort of so it sort of gets baked into the secondary um, outcomes. Yeah, whether it's affects, yeah. affected by wages or, or um, other transport costs or cost of... Yeah. Yep. Okay. So uh, so at this stage, you know, we've got about oh, 25% downside, I think, something like that for energy prices in the US over the next six months mm. based on where oil's already fallen, roughly the same for Europe. Uh, so there's a lot of, you know, deflationary or disinflationary pulse coming in. Uh, and then that'll be exacerbated too by by what we just talked about with the falling production, etc. So basically, this says you know there's the Fed, despite a very tight labour market in the US, is going to have scope to cut, mm. which we saw last night. It was very dovish, uh, and it's really setting up to cut in July and and at least once more this year, if not more. Mm. Uh, and so the the outrageous US bond bull market that's underway. The one that uh, you know was supposed to go completely the other way, according to uh, bond bears and inflationista, uh, is going to keep going. Mm. Uh, and so, you know, then you've got the whole range of effects that come from falling interest rates in the U.S. You expect to see a weaker U.S. dollar, uh, the the whole equity risk premium um, in in stocks drives uh, um, price earnings ratios higher. Mm-hmm. So you get you know these crazy stock takeoffs which we're also seeing at the moment uh but at the same time you know you will see impacts on real activity so you get this sort of crazy situation where you've got markets going up and economies going down and bad news becomes good news etc bonds go up bonds go up, <laughs> Fuel prices go up. Yeah. yeah and at a certain point you know the market impacts become um you know market enough that they actually start to lift economic activity as well Wow. So the system works. Know, well, <laughs> you know, it's just that markets start to drive economies rather than the other way around. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, right. Okay. Very good. Um, eventually, it comes back to the, the real economy needs to. Eventually. Yeah. It can go through short periods where, yeah. Markets. Just, just a quick one, sorry, on the, on the shale side. So you mentioned before with the shale having, um, you know, a, a, a high yielding period in the early stages of, the, of it and then it's sort of essentially backing off and that's the cream, you know, for a project. Is, it, is this, um, given obviously the huge, you know, increase in shale as we've just been sort of covering off on, um, 
is, is this sort of something that can continue sort of ad nauseum? Like, is this sort of, is this going to, you know, perhaps one day replace a, a Middle Eastern reliance on oil for the US, given the fact that oil demands may fall with the, you know, introduction of, you know, well, proliferation of electric vehicles? Is this, could it, could it see, you know, almost an independence from, Middle Eastern oil, um, in well, you know, in the midterm, perhaps maybe a long term. Arguably, US is. I mean, they're, they're a net exporter now, so yep. You know, they're you already could, there. You could argue yeah. they're they're already independent. But, yeah. but is it sustainable at this level? Obviously, there's been a bit of a drive now. If it falls to say twenty five or thirty bucks a barrel and sits there forever, um, is shale yeah. going to still get the job done, or is it some sometime the but, scale is going to need to tip back to the Middle East yeah. again? Yeah. Uh, if you cut the prices, if, if the oil price fell to 20, 20 bucks, if, and, and let's say demand, so say say electric cars, there's a bit of a breakthrough, and or batteries, there's a bit of a breakthrough, and yep. all of a sudden, you know, we're sitting around in two thousand and twenty-eight, and and everyone's uh, driving an electric car, and so the demand for oil is is sort of more limited to, um, you know, maybe airline flights and and uh, carnival cruise ships. Uh, well, there it is, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and you're. Uh, um, and what you, and all your chemical sort of uses, then yeah, so the oil price drops dramatically. The cheapest producers still tend to be in the US. Sorry, in the in this in the Middle, Middle East. East. Yep. Yeah, so that they can generally get it out of the ground at maybe ten dollars a barrel and, and still be productive. Yep, along, yep. But the other the other thing to keep in mind though is that um, most of that cost is is a sunk cost on your. Uh, on your original investment, mm. so people who have already drilled the wells, already put in the pipelines, already got all the everything going, their their cost per year to keep the thing yep. yeah, per barrel is, is is much lower than what their overall um, per barrel cost is. Yeah, sure. And they're not going to say, well, you know, if you've if if my if somebody's so so the shale guys have an issue because they do a lot faster. But if you've got a traditional well, say owner who has a break even of forty dollars, mm. um, but Ninety percent of that was all upfront costs, or seventy-five percent of that was all upfront costs, and so you know they're uh, maybe they're producing at ten dollars the actual barrels, but yep. they're, they're losing money on what they they originally put in. Yeah, sure. they're not going to stop just because the oil price falls. Yep, yep. They'll either say they'll either hold back and say, okay, we're going to wait for the oil price to rise again, but if they, if they don't think it's going to rise ever again because demand's gone, mm. they're just going to keep pumping till yep. the wells dry. Yeah, okay. Oh, yeah. It's, it's a terrible bind, though, isn't it? Because you know they they could maybe they can produce it profitably at those levels, but you know their their budget break evens are like eighty bucks. Yeah, and so you know they they're trying to transition away from a future oil dependence that they can see is in trouble. Hmm. Uh, but they need you know further investment and uh, you know decent return on their oil to fund any kind of economic transition away from it. Hmm. And so you know. They could they could certainly flood the market or, or indeed keep pumping as demand falls away, but at the same time it'll make it very difficult for them to actually transition from the oil itself because they'll be running such huge deficits etc. Mm. Um, in their economies and they're not structured for this very well. Like a, a lot of those Middle Eastern countries rely very heavily on um, you know a decent return from oil for the budgets to more or less bribe the populace yeah sure yeah uh, you know right almost to the extent that it's it's sort of political legitimacy mm. in some of them so so it's, it's a very difficult question that they face 
mm. how to handle the transition away. Mm. Yep. Okay. And, and and some sort of pose the argument that that's you know oh the the you know Saudi budget break even is whatever sixty dollars of oil so that's where the oil price will have to go to is like saying well no that's not <laughs> that's not the market <laughs> that's, not, that's not the market we've, yeah. got a, we've got this broad world market you know yeah, that, yep. that might be a short term you know maybe that's where they're, they're short term aiming to get it to and and they can get it there for a little bit but the net effect of you know it's a, we're, we're living in a global world yep and if the the price settles at twenty dollars then. Uh, they're going to have to stop paying all their citizens such huge amounts, and yep. there probably will be pop- popular uprisings and a whole bunch of fallouts and, and things of things of that nature. But uh, that's not the. You know, I don't think that's going to prevent the, the oil price from falling just because you've, mm. got, you've got all these other things going on. Okay, and just just in wrapping up, so uh, in reflection on our portfolios, uh, themes discussed today. Have we got any sort of takeouts from there? What have we been looking at? Yeah, so it's, well, a lot of it's coming playing around with the. Uh, how much? At what stage do you do you get oil? So I'd, I'd yep. be saying, you know, at at eighty dollars or you know, seventy or eighty dollars, you 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 don't want to, you don't want to be anywhere near it. Yep. Um, at the fifty sixty dollar level, look, we're in, we're sort of at there. We're in when the when this trend downwards. I sort of feel that below forty, you'd, you'd we'd be looking to buy some. Okay. Uh, and then so when you say that, you're well, um, producing oil companies, producing companies, yeah, 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 sure. Depending upon the price of the companies at the time and yep. you know, a whole range of other the factors. usual metrics. Yep. But uh, yeah. I guess that uh, in in the current sort of forty to sixty dollar range, we're, we're pretty ambivalent. Yep. Uh, if we see them really cheap, we'll, we'll buy them, but they're not particularly cheap. Okay. Um, and so, it's and that that range is just trending down over time. Mm, okay. So what's what's forty to sixty dollars today? Um, you know, in five years' time, could easily be thirty to fifty dollars, mm. or or twenty to forty dollars, largely depending upon that whole pickup of the. Um, the uh, electric cars, and yep. uh, and the, the main point I want to make again once more about that is, I don't. That's not going to be a, a linear event. That's going to be a non-linear. All of a sudden, you know, it just drops every, off. Every new car, pretty much, is is, is electric. Yeah. Okay. At, at some mm. stage, when that happens, we don't know. Yep. It does seem as if the next five to ten years is a pretty good, pretty good possibility. Yep. But might be longer. Might be shorter. Okay. All right. Very good. And the the number one macro implication is is just more deflation. You know, in a world without any kind of inflationary pulse, all oil's going to make it worse. Yeah, okay. All right. Well, on that bombshell, uh, we'll finish up. But uh, and worth noting as well, just just quick one, a quick plug for we're, uh, for anyone in Canberra next Monday night or in Sydney on Wednesday night. That's right. Yeah. So um, yeah, for our uh, for our annual seminars. That's yes. right. That's leading into that. So next week uh, we've got a uh, one in the in the can. Uh, we're going to reheat the Aussie debt crisis playbook. We thought it was quite timely. That was one that was shot uh, late last year and still stands well today. Um, so that'll be up and available uh, through the the webinar and, uh, and YouTube channel for uh, Thursday whilst we are up on our on our roadshow. Mm-hmm. So on that note. Well, that's it for now, and thanks for watching. If you like what you heard today, and you'd like to hear more, head over to nucleuswealth.com forward slash subscribe, give us your email address, and in return, we'll send you a weekly email with new webinar topics, links for our podcasts, and other news from Nucleus Wealth. I certainly hope you've got something out of today, as I have, and we'll look forward to catching you at the next one. Cheers. Cheers.